tonight. Thank him to be in his house. We're able to be in God's house tonight, and we give you thanks and praise. Amen. If you have a lesson, I'd like for you to go ahead and get that. And if you don't have a lesson, Brother David Grigsby has a lesson for you. There should be one in the back of your pew, but I'd like for everyone to have a lesson. Go ahead and get that if you would. And then I just want to give you some good news. Uh, maybe you remember I, I just felt impressed that somebody was going to get a promotion. And so I just want you to know that that happened. There is a person in this room tonight that received a promotion and not only a promotion, but a thousand dollar raise. So praise God for that. Amen. Isn't that great? I just want you to hear the good news and um, because it, it strengthens our faith. And then also we've been praying for a man and uh, this uh, man has gotten a job and we give thanks praise for that we asked it to happen in 30 days and i believe that it did we've also asked for the lord to create another job for a man and the last report i got was he was going on an interview so i don't know how that went but if it's the right door it's going to open amen so god is doing a work of restoration and if it hasn't come to your house yet it's going to because god's not a liar can i get a witness so you just keep the faith. What I'm going to do is, is I'm going to go into part two of what we started last week. And what I'll do is I'll just review uh, just for just a minute. And then we will, we're going to jump right into this. If you're ready, say amen. amen. So what we're going to talk about is this subject, how to manage our mind. Okay. Are you ready? Look in your notes. You have Romans 12, Romans 12. And verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And I'm looking at the second sentence here. It says, but let God transform you into a new person. How's that? By changing the way you think. Okay? By changing the way you think. You can be seated. When you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, your flesh did not change. If you were thin when you got the Holy Spirit, you were still thin after the Holy Spirit. If your hair was blonde, it was still blonde. Your, your, your body, your flesh did not change. And then guess what? Um, your mind didn't even change. Because if you knew how to cuss... Before you got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you knew how to cuss after you got it. Right? If you were not good at math before you got the Holy Spirit, you're still not good at math after you got it. Right? So what happened when I got the Spirit? Then I'm going to tell you, that which is eternal is what changed in you. Your flesh is still your flesh and your mind is still your mind. The only thing that changed when you got the baptism of the Holy Spirit is your spirit was not regenerated and Christ regenerated or made you alive through Christ. And now you're going to be able to live eternally. So God did that. You had nothing to do with that. Do y'all all agree? God's the only one that can change your spirit. Now, what you can change now is your mind. And God can transform you into a new person, but this is where he partners with you. He doesn't do it by himself. Now, he saved you all by himself. 
Are you with me still? But now where you partner with Christ is when it comes to your mind. How do I do that? Well, I have to, I have to get into God's word and begin to renew my mind. And that's how I can begin to become a new person. If that makes sense, say amen. Okay, now why does it matter what you think? Why does it even matter? Why should I even invest the next 40 minutes of talking about this? One, because it's extremely important. Why is it very important? Because behind every behavior is a belief. I'm going to say it again. Behind every behavior is a belief. And, and what we don't do many times is we don't, we don't take the time to ask, why do I do that? We just do it. Mama did it, so I do it. Daddy did it, so I do it. And we don't take the time to ask the question, why do I do this? A question, remember I said Sunday, is one of the most powerful things you can ask yourself. Why do I do what I do? Because behind every behavior, there is a belief. If I give tithe and offerings, it is a belief that I am being in alignment to God's word. If I am faithful, it means that I am believing that I am supposed to be faithful according to God's word. Behind every behavior, there is a belief. That's why how you think is very important. Here's the second reason why how you think is very important. Because it is forming the basis of who we will become. When you came into the house of God and God saved you, you may have been a negative person. Very negative. But if you will begin to get the word of God in you and let it change your mind, you can go from negative Nancy to positive Paul. Because if you want to know the mind of God, you can read God's mind. Oh, Lord, I keep telling myself, I'm not going to get off of my notes. I'm not going to get off of my notes. I'm going to stay to my notes. And here I go. This is very important, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm fixing to tell you. The Bible said he made known his ways unto the children of Israel. But his acts he made known unto his acts he made known to the children of Israel. His ways he made known to Moses. What, what, what's the difference? Here's the difference. Israel just saw that the way God acted, but they didn't understand why. But God let Moses know, here's why I do what I do. There's the difference. I'm going to say that again. Okay. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. Israel saw the way God acted, but they didn't know why. Why does God act this way? They didn't know. Moses knew. Why? Because God let him know. He was a friend. See, when you get, when you read the mind of God, then you understand how God thinks. Are you with me? Okay, this is why the word of God is very important. Now, it's forming who we become. So if you want to become more like Christ, you get more of God's word into your mind and it transforms you. Do you agree with that? All right. Now you say, where do I get that from? Here's where I get it from. This is Proverbs 23 and 7. One of my favorite verses. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What is the heart right here? It means the seedbed of the emotions. Okay. Out of your heart, as a man thinketh in his heart, 
so is he. I hope this comes up on the screen. Once you learn how to manage your mind to your advantage, your world will change forever. Did that come up on the screen? Okay, I want to read it again. Once you learn, and this is, you have to learn how to do this. You don't, it's not innate. Once you learn how to manage your mind to your advantage, your world will change forever. When I start spiraling downward, now I, I catch myself. One of the first things I start asking myself is, Wayne, what have you been thinking? What have you been thinking? And most of the time where we start spiraling downward, watch this. You start comparing yourself. Well, I'm 55 and I don't have that. And I thought surely by now I'd be here. And then, well, I'm not as pretty as she is. I'm not as handsome as he is. Man, I wish I was as smart as this one. Man, I thought by now I would have that degree. And so I I, I just can't understand why I can't ever overcome. Why can't I get beyond this? And what starts happening is you start thinking downward thoughts and you start spiraling downward. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So you, you got to, you got to guard your mind. Does that make sense? Okay. When you learn and you have to learn how to use your mind to your advantage, you, you, you have to learn how to use your mouth and your mind to your advantage. Okay. You start, you start speaking things. When you wake up in the morning, you need to start speaking things. Positive things over your life, such as what? I am the royal representative of God in the earth. I am the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Amen. Okay. Why must we manage our mind? Number one, because our thoughts control our life. That's a fill in the blank. Because our thoughts control our life. Why must I manage our mind? Because our thoughts control our life. Here's Proverbs 4 and 23. This is the English version. It says this, be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. See, we're always interested in our feelings. I'm just interested in my feelings. I don't feel like this. I don't feel like worshiping. I'm tired and I don't feel like it. Our feelings, ladies and gentlemen, is not what changes us. Our beliefs do. I'm going to say that again. Our feelings do not change us. Our beliefs do. You do not fight your way into a feeling. You act your way into one. I don't feel like, I don't feel like, here's what my daddy would say. I would say, I don't feel like mowing the, the, the lawn. My daddy would say, get your Easter keister on the lawnmower. I don't care how you feel. Just get your Easter keister on the lawnmower and then you're going to feel like mowing it. Right? See, we, we, we want to come in here and say, well, you know, I don't feel like worshiping the Lord. That's not how it goes. No, it's not that I feel like worshiping the Lord. It's I act my way into a feeling. See, I'm going to obey God. I will bless the Lord at all times. Not when I had a bad day. I don't have to bless him. 
See, see, the Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it say that this person you don't have to love. You don't, Jesus never said, well, this person you don't have to love. All right? He didn't say that. Why? Because you're not going to always want to love everybody. So you know what you do? You just march your little self up there and you just give them a hug anyway. Mm, I don't feel like that. <laughs> That's not what the Bible talks about. You don't wait till you feel it. You act your way into a feeling. Well, I don't feel like loving my wife. I don't feel like loving my spouse. Mm-hmm. You know what you do? You deserve her. And you act your way into a feeling. I got some good nods from some ladies on that one. Come on now. I'm telling you the truth. Because yeah, here, here, here's the deal. Americans are living by their feelings. Yes, well, I don't feel like it. Okay, I got to move on. See, here, here's the thing about our beliefs, ladies and gentlemen. This is why this is so important. Our beliefs don't even have to be true. What do you mean by that? Our beliefs do not even have to be true. If we believe it, it's going to shape our life. Okay, I'm going to give you a concrete example. How many of you have ever seen a very thin person, but they didn't think they were thin enough? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. And no matter how much you told them, hey, sweetheart, you're really, you're really thin enough. Oh, no, I'm not. It didn't matter if everyone around her could see that she was thin enough. She didn't believe it. It don't matter what you believe, it was what she believed. And even though she was believing a lie, it was shaping her life. See, if you believe the things that your parents, your pastors, your authority figures, your teachers told you when you were a kid, even if it was a lie, if you do not compare that with the truth, then you can believe a lie and you can be damned because of a lie that you believe that is not even true. But you believe it. Does that make sense? Okay, here's why you got to replace every lie with the truth. How do I know if it's a lie? If it doesn't match up with the word, then it's a lie. That's why God, that's why the devil's always trying to get you to doubt God's word. Think about that. I'm going to say that again. That's why the enemy is always trying to get you to doubt God's word. Because this is the standard whereby you judge every one of your beliefs. And if it don't line up with the word, then it's a lie. That's why the the enemy don't want you to get this in your heart. Because truth will make you free. It's not set you free, it's make you free. Your buddies can bust you out of prison, but that's just setting you free. You haven't been made free because you're going to constantly be looking over your shoulder knowing the popo's coming after you. But if you have been made free, the judge says your record is expunged. You, I have made you free. Then guess what? You don't have to worry about the popo. I'm made free. My record is expunged. See, when the blood of Jesus covered your life, everything in your past was expunged. It's just, that's what justified means. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Spirit. That's what justified means. Just as if you never did it. Just as if I never did it with that person. You know, now you know what you gotta, you know, you know what you gotta deal with? You gotta deal with the mind that knows the past. God looks at you through the blood. 
God, ladies and gentlemen, God does not look at you through your faults and your flaws. If he did, he would have thrown us in hell a long time ago. His mercies are renewed every morning and great is his faithfulness. He looks at you through the blood. He looks at you as a finished product. He already sees you seated in heavenly places with him. That blows your mind. See, but when you get this word in you, then you start thinking like him. Does that make sense? Have I lost you? I think sometimes I come across as mad. I'm really not mad. I'm just extremely passionate about being transformed. Does it make sense? Okay, let's keep going. Here's why we need to change. Here's why we need to manage our mind. Here's the second fill in the blank. Because the mind is the battleground of sin. The mind is the battleground of sin. That's your fill in the blank. I've said this many times. I'm going to keep saying it till Jesus comes. Most of the battles in life are mind battles. And if you can win in your mind, you can win in life. I just keep saying it. Most of the battles are mind battles. And if you can win in your mind, you can win in life. And this is why this is so important because here, here is the battleground for sin. Because you don't go there unless your mind goes there first. Just think about that. Ponder that. See la on that a minute. Think about that a minute. Your, your, your body doesn't go where your mind doesn't go first. Your body follows your mind, not vice versa. Okay? So, you, you, oh, I don't even know why I'm here. Yes, you do. You've been thinking about it. Oh, I can't believe I'm in this bar. Oh, how did I get here? Whoa. No, it don't work that way. You've been thinking about it. Man, I sure would. Yeah, I I think I'd like that, right? Why do we need to manage our mind? Here's the third reason, fill in the blank. Because it's the key to peace and happiness. Manage your mind is the key to peace and happiness. Here's what you have to decide. And I'm working on this right now as your pastor. I'm working on this right now. Am I going to worship or am I going to worry? Am I going to worship over all that I'm dealing with on this building or am I going to worry about it? Okay, I had a I had an African American lady tell me in, the, in in Columbia, Maryland. She said, "If you're going to pray about it, don't worry about it. If you're going to worry about it, don't pray about it." That's a good word. That's a good word. So now I have to decide. Wayne, are you going to panic or are you going to pray? You going to worship? You going to worry? Because if I manage my mind, guess what I get? I get peace. If I don't manage my mind, guess what I get? Stress, panic. Oh, my God. That's what you get. You get the, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? Oh, my God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Am I talking to anybody? Okay. Now, I'm not telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that I'm making an A on that report card. I'm telling you that that's where I'm headed. Here's what the scripture says. Here's what the scripture says. They that keep their mind stayed on me. I will keep them in what? Perfect. Mature. That word mature means mature peace. In other words, you can be a mature. When you become a mature person in Christ, you can live in peace. Said that I can't believe that. Well, that's what we're striving for, right? Okay, the Bible says it like this. This is Romans 8 and 6. If your sinful nature controls your mind, what does that lead to? Death. What do you mean by that? Well, you, you know what it means. 
You take one drink, one drink leads to another, then one drink leads to another, then it leads to the bottle, then the bottle leads to being an alcoholic, and then you can die from problems. Right? And then we can just, we can just go on down the line. And y'all don't need that. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. But it starts, here's, here, here's very important. Remember, I gotta plant seeds and pull weeds. Why? Because I'm placing in my mind for tomorrow's harvest. What I'm reaping, what I'm reaping today, I didn't sow the seed this morning. What the harvest that I'm reaping today is what I've been sowing years ago. Does that make sense? Okay, thank you. All right, here we go. It's the key to peace and happiness. But, but the scripture says, but if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, then what? What happens? Talk to me. There you go. Man, I want, I want peace. Let the Holy Spirit control your mind. That what you want? Okay. Now, here's three daily, here's three daily choices for a healthy mind. Number one, I must feed my mind with truth. We know this in the, we know this for nutrition wise. We understand this with our kids. We don't give them gummy bears for breakfast, cotton candy for lunch, and then uh, popcorn for dinner. If you do, you're not a good mama. You're just not a good mama. If that's their daily diet. Every morning they wake up, cotton candy, popcorn, you know, Cokes. That's not a good diet. Y'all know that. So you give them broccoli. I don't like broccoli. Well, you need broccoli. Right? I don't like, I don't like, I don't like. It don't matter. You're going to eat it. Why? Because it's healthy for you. Make sense? Okay. So junk in, garbage in, garbage out. That's why you can't feast your mind on eight hours of news and not start getting fearful. I ain't saying you don't need to check whatever your news is. That's fine. But if you keep feasting your mind week in and week out and week in and week out, you're going to wonder why you got the shakes. Well, my God. I can tell you why you got the shakes. Because you're worrying about who's in control. You got your mind off of God. That God's already got this all figured out. Now you're worrying about the U.S. government. And you're worrying about these spy things flying all over America. All this nonsense that's going on. Dear God. Don't get me off on that. See, you got to keep your mind on Jesus. This is why, this is why I don't watch a lot of that stuff. I don't listen to it. I, I choose not to. Because I want to stay in a happy place. And the news don't take me to a happy place. So I just make that choice. You say, well, I can handle it. Okay, good. Good for you. Good for you. All right. So when, when, here, look in your notes. When must I feed my mind? All day long. That's your answer. All day long. There's three different passages in your notes of what David said. He said, uh, here it is. I rise early. So I do it early in the morning. Second is all day long. Third verse is, even in the darkest of nights, your teachings fill my mind. When do I need to do it? All day. All day. Morning, noon, and night. The Muslims, I told y'all last week, the Muslims pray five times a day. Orthodox Muslims. Five times. And you know what they do? They just lay the little mat out. It don't matter where they're at. They pray. We should not be ashamed, ladies and gentlemen, to pray. We should not be ashamed to keep our mind on Christ. Well, you say, well, I'm welding, and how am I supposed to keep my mind on Christ? Well, okay, weld your weld, but then when you're done, just try to think about God again. Right? Okay. Number two, I must free my mind from destructive thoughts. 
Here's Romans 8 and 5. It says those who are dominated by their sinful nature, what do they do? They think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Okay, you and I, we have three enemies. Here it is. Number one's your flesh. Okay, I know we blame a lot on the devil and that's fine. He, he, he can get blamed for all of it. Don't have a problem with that. But the devil's not your biggest problem. Your flesh is. You are. You are your biggest problem. Sorry. I am my biggest problem and you are your biggest problem. And I know we like to blame. It goes all the way back to the garden, you know. He said, well, it's his fault. It's his fault. And we play the blame game. But when you're blaming, you are being blamed because you are now the victim and you're not taking responsibility. Are you with me? Okay. So I must free my mind from destructive thoughts. And my number one enemy is the flesh. My number two enemy is Satan. How, how does Satan work? Through lies, through deceptions. All he did was he walked into a perfect environment with the perfect God and perfect children in a perfect place. And all he did was drop one lie. Change the world. And guess what? It's worked so well. He's been doing it for the last thousands of years. Hadn't changed it. It worked so well. He didn't need to change it. Are you with me? So the number one enemy is your flesh. The number two enemy is Satan. The number three enemy is this culture. It's the world's value systems. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, what impresses God don't impress man. What impresses man don't impress God. Okay, I'm going to just tell you. All this right here, all this, that don't impress God. It doesn't. But guess what? We like it. So you, so you say, well, what do we do? We try to have a balance of both, but if we err, we err on the side of always trying to please God. Okay, so guess what? We're going to have lights. We're going to have a lot of lights in the new building. We're going to have sound. We're going to have pews. We're going to have carpet. Do I think that impresses God? No. Do I think that in building impresses God? Mm-mm, probably not. But I know two things about God. Number one, God wants number one thing is relationship. He wants to commune with you, every one of you. That's the number one thing on his mind. Second thing is he wants a place to do it. Okay. So we're building a place because that's important to God. But is he impressed by it? Probably not. Solomon's temple, some, whoever you read, whatever scholar you read, some say Solomon's temple was worth $9 billion. Some scholars say it was worth $90 billion. Depends on who you read. So we're, we're a long ways off from $9 billion. Thank God. What are, you, what are you saying? I'm saying that what impresses God doesn't impress man. What impresses man doesn't impress God. But you try to have both. Degrees don't impress God because he's all wisdom. But a degree impresses man. What opens doors for you for God is not what opens doors for you for man. So you try to have both. Here's what the Bible says. He grew in knowledge and in stature, both with man and with God. That's what it says. Does it make sense? Have I lost you? Are you still with me? Okay. So the world, the world, I get back to what I was saying. The culture of the world is not for us. The culture of the world is against us because the culture is not encouraging any of us to be more disciplined. When's the last time that you saw on TV, hey, you need to pray more? Or, hey, you know what? You should stop and pause and read your Bible. When's the last time you saw that on TV? No, you haven't, right? And you're not going to. But I'll tell you what they will tell you. They'll tell you, have it your way. You deserve a break today, so have it your way. Obey your thirst, Right? 
This, so it's all about you, 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 you. Every advertisement says you deserve a break. Have it your way. We do it all for you. So nothing in the culture of the world is saying, no, it's not all about you. It's all about him. And then, then what happens is, is the reason why the world's not changing, the reason why the church is not changing the world is because we bought into this culture where it's habit my way. I don't really feel like worshiping the Lord tonight, so it's a Wednesday night. So <sighs> hurry up, you know. Let's go. And that may be a little drastic, but not too far off. Right? Because we've bought into the culture of the world instead of buying into this culture. And this culture is in direct opposition to the world's culture. Make, make sense? Okay, so how do we fight this? Look in your notes. 2 Corinthians 10 and 4. The weapons we fight are not weapons of the world. Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. What is a stronghold, pastor? A stronghold is a lie that we believe. Any lie that you believe and you keep believing it, it becomes a stronghold. Such as, well, you know what? I'll never amount to anything. And you begin to believe that. That's not what this Bible says. The Bible says you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. Right? But if you've been told that all your life, you come in here, you get saved, and you still believe. Well, I'm not going to amount to much. Here's another example. Well, if something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to me. Here's another example. Man, when my boat comes in, I'm going to be at the airport. I just know it. I just know it. I just, I just know it. If, it, if, if anything bad's going to happen, well, it's just my luck. That's just my luck. Oh, that drives me insane. Y'all, it, it drives me crazy. Not literally, but I'm just <laughs> hypothetically speaking. When I hear that from people, it drives me crazy. I want to think, you change your thinking. Change your thinking, okay? So, here's what I want you to get in your spirit. I'm going to keep saying this. Behind every self-defeating act is a lie. When you're defeating yourself, you're believing a lie every time. 100 out of 100. Every self-defeating act is you're believing a lie. So how are strongholds destroyed? Look at 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. Our weapons have a divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish any argument and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Did you get that? Okay, so now that sounds real good, but let's get practical. How do we take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ? Well, let me, I want to talk to you, first of all, about how temptation works. I may not get past this right here, okay? But look at James chapter 1, verses 14. It tells us the pattern. Temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires, Those evil desires lead to evil actions, and those evil actions lead to death. Notice that temptation is a process. Step number one is desire. And we think, whoo, okay, I'm going to just get, I got to be careful. Okay, I know how men think. Men think with their eyes, women pretty much respond to their ears, men pretty much respond to their eyes. So I'm going to talk to the man. So the man looks at something and says, "Woo, I got to have that. Okay. Woo. I got to have that. So that's what happens. 
Temptation is, is a process. And number one, it starts with a desire. And we think, we think that temptation is external. Oh my goodness, what I see, I got to have that. We think that it's external. I see that and I got to have that. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that temptation comes from the lure of your own evil desires. It comes right out of the heart. Temptation, ladies and gentlemen, doesn't come when you see that whatever as a man. Temptation comes because it is right in here. It is an inside job. Would you say this with me? Temptation is an inside job. It just is. Most desires are okay, right? It starts with a desire, right? Step number one is desire. It starts with the desire. Most desires are okay. In other words, we desire to cook our food. Most of our food is cooked. So that means we need heat or we need fire. So heat and fire are good, but if you take the fire from its good place to a bad place, it becomes destructive. Okay, God, God created S-E-X. You didn't think of S-E-X. I didn't think of S-E-X. God thought of S-E-X, S-E-X, and he thinks it's good. But you can take S-E-X and take it out of a good place and put it into a bad place, and it becomes very destructive. Same thing with money. Money is neutral, ladies and gentlemen. It all depends on what you do with it. Does that make sense? Okay, so it goes back to if the desire wasn't in us, it wouldn't tempt us. Now, in just a minute, I hope to answer then the very important question. Well, where do I get these desires from? I hope to answer that if I got time. Second, the second step is deception. In other words, the Bible says that he drags, he is dragged away and enticed. That word enticed, it goes back. What that word enticed means, it's a fisherman's term, which means lured by bait. Enticed, he's lured by bait. Here's the question. What kind of bait does the devil use on you? Do you know the devil knows your weaknesses? Sure he does. He knows you inside and out. He knows what turns you on. He knows what turns you off. He knows what you're going to fall for. And you know what he does? He hides his hook in his bait and the bait appeals to your weakness. That's why they make all those little... I'm not a fisherman, but I've been around enough to know they make them silver and they make them wiggle. There's a purpose behind that. You can't just put in an old dull hook and expect the fish to bite on it. It's got to have something attractive. Why do you think... The devil puts that good-looking thing in front of you. Because he knows you. Whatever that is, he knows your weakness and he's luring you. And then if there's some evil stuff in here, bad stuff in here, guess what? <laughs> you're like, you're like, <laughs> you're like a hungry fish. I'm going to get me some of that. <laughs> I know I'm theatrical, but I'm trying to make a point. Okay? Now, I'll tell you this. Temptation, here, here, here it goes. Temptation always looks better than it really is. Oh, my God. See, the bright lights at the casino look good. But losing $5,000 sure don't feel good. Think about the deception that's called Las Vegas. It ought to be called Lost Wages. Right? 
Because, buddy, those likes make you think, ooh, baby, I'm going to hit it. I'm going to tell you something. If you hit it all the time, they couldn't stay open. So they're hitting it more than you. Yeah, it ought to be called lost wages, not Las Vegas. All right? Now, now here, here's the next thing the enemy tries to get you to do is doubt his word. Let's go back to what we've already said. For example, did God really say that sex outside of marriage? Did he really say that? Did God really say forgive the person instead of getting even with them? Really? Did God really say it's more blessed to give than to receive? Because, man, I sure like it when people give me stuff. And guess what you start doing? You start doubting God's word. Come on, somebody. That's exactly the reason why he always wants you to doubt his word. Because when he does, he can deceive you. He can plant a lie. It's as old as the garden itself. Did God, here's what he said. Did God really say you couldn't eat from that tree? Right? Okay. I want to remind all of us of this. God's rules are not for his benefit. It's for ours. He don't have any lust in him. I'm going to say this again. Dear God, help me, sweet Jesus. Clothes, ladies and gentlemen, the way you dress, the way you dress is not for God. God already sees the whole world is naked. The why we dress modest is not for God. I'm going to say this again. You could put the most, you could put a deep, most beautiful woman in the world that's got the greatest curves. Parade her right up in front of God. And you think God's going to go, oh my God, I can't look at that. No. Why? Because there's no lust in him. There is no sin in him. He sees the whole world is naked. So when I dress modest, I ain't doing it for God to try to show how holy I am. Because the Pharisees were holy and they didn't impress God. In fact, he called them hypocrites. So you, I can prove to you, you can think you're holy and still not be pleasing God. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Now, I'm not saying we go parade flesh. Don't misconstrue what I just said. We should be modest. Why should I dress modest? Because I don't want to make my brother or my sister stumble. You say, but the world doesn't dress modest, but you're not the world. If you're the world, then you and I need to go out there and act like the world. But we're not the world. So guess what? We're held to a different standard than the world. Make sense? Am I, am I still in the book? Okay, so God's rules are not for his benefit. God don't need any rules because he's not going to sin. They're for our benefit. And every time we give in to temptation, we are believing the lie. Here's, here's the third step to temptation is disobedience. Disobedience. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. What begins in your mind, what begins in your mind results in an action. The battle starts with your thoughts, then moves from your thoughts into action. The I, I just have to use this because it's easy. So I think, man, I really would like a drink. Boy, a drink would be great. And you keep thinking about that. And before long, you've got a bottle in your hand. So, so it starts with the thought and then it ends with an action. Here's the fourth step to temptation. And this is, this is what's so sad. Here's where it leads to. It leads to defeat and it leads to death. Okay. What, what, what do you mean? Sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I want you to write this down, please. I want, I hope it's up on the screen. 
Here's what I want you to write down. What I flirt with, I'll fall for. Oh, that was worth the, that, that right there was worth you coming. What I flirt with, I fall for. Whether that's a cupcake or a person. What I flirt with, I fall for. Oh, I can handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, keep lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, what do I do, Pastor? You got to get refocused. Refocus, refocus my attention. See, there are consequences to, that, that come to every choice. I'm going to say that again. There are consequences that come to every choice. God gave us the freedom to choose. We can choose to live any way we want to, but we're not free to choose the consequences of those choices. In other words, man, I can have my kicks, but not without the kick back. All right? You can't have your kicks without the kick back. So you're, you're free to choose what you want, but you're not free to choose the consequences of those choices. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, before I'm done, I want to share something with you that I think is, is very powerful. So I'm going to go back to where, so you say, okay, pastor, so desires, does the desires that are in me are internal and that's what attracts me to the external. Yes. So then where do my desires come from? Most of our desires come from four things. This is this. I want to share this with you. Number one, security. We have a deep need for security. In fact, most women, I think, and I may be wrong, but I think most women need security as much as they need love. That's why a home is very important to a woman. It's her space. It's where she feels secure. It's her haven. Okay? So security is very important. Second is self-esteem. We have a, we have a high, high desire for self-esteem. The third one is control. We need control. We want to feel in control. And then the fourth one is connection. We need to feel a connection. Okay, so those are desires that we have. I'm going to say it again. You ready? We need security. We need self-esteem. We need control. And we need connection. So those are desires that we have. Now, here is where those desires can now turn to hurt us. For example, because we have need for security, many times men, men, my gender looks as money to money as what makes us secure. If I have enough money, then I'm secure. Right? And so here's the problem. That's not bad as long as it stays in balance. But when my need for security no longer is in balance, then what happens is money becomes an idol. Because what I'm really needing is to feel secure. Make sense? Okay. Here, here's the next one. Self-esteem. So I have a desire for self-esteem. And then what, what self-esteem does is that relates to performance. I'm good based off of what I've done. See, and then we take this right into Christianity. I'm valuable because I taught X Bible studies or gave this much or I've done this much. And while all that's good, your good works are going to be rewarded. That's not what saves you. But if you're trying to make God love you based off of your 
need for self-esteem, then you get into this performance mode. We not only do it spiritually, we do it naturally. So what happens is, is we turn into workaholics because we want to get this diploma and we want to get that and we want to get this. Do you know there are people that have three PhDs and they still don't feel smart? They still don't feel smart. They're trying to get another one. You know why? Because it goes back to self-esteem. They want people to see them a certain way and they never feel like they can get enough. Okay, I'm going to try to make this make sense. Then it goes for control. And what happens is, is we, when we tip the scales for control, then we make an idol by playing God ourselves. Well, I'm God. I know what's going to make me happier than what God knows. The Bible says that it's not within man to direct his own steps. But when you buy into that lie that, you know what, I know what's going to make me happy. Then guess what? Now you tip the scales, but you're, what you're needing is control. Here's what I found out. Here's what I found out. I'm in control of very little. All right. All right. That's good. Dear God, I wish I had time to. I wish I had time. See, I, I, I could help make sense of why preachers, why preachers try to use control and fear because it's easy tools to manipulate people. And I understand why preachers have done it. I get it and I'm not mad. But what preachers have done is they said, now listen, here is the box. Do not step outside of this box. I get it. They didn't want us to sin because they want us to be saved. And that is a good thing. But then what they did was, is they took the scriptures and made it align with what they wanted for their congregation And then when somebody gets a little education and finds out that that's really not what that means in the context, that that don't mean that either. Then the only recourse he has is obey them that have the rule over you for they watch for your soul. Yeah, I get that, but that's really not what this verse means. He meant well, she meant well, right? But it's called control and it's fear-based. And so we serve God out of fear instead of out of love. When you ever get the revelation of how much God loves you, see, it's the motivation of why you do what you do. I can give 10 bucks. Here it is, God. I'm going to give my 10. Or I can say, God, I am so blessed. Man, I'm so thankful I can give $10. It's a totally different attitude because motives matter. I'm not mad. Y'all, I promise I'm not. I'm passionate about what I'm saying. Why? Because my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So then guess what we got to keep doing? We got to keep trying to control you. We got to keep trying to keep you in a fear-based religion. So you'll keep doing what we want you to do. And here's the deal. You can put out a thousand signs from right here to L2 can that says drive 55. And guess what? You can see a thousand signs. But if you don't want to drive 55... Come on, y'all, talk to me, Pentecostals. If you don't want to drive 55, are a thousand signs going to make you not drive 60? Yes or no? No, they're not. What are you saying? I'm saying that this is why God himself said, you know what? It don't matter what I write on stone. The difference is going to be if they get it in their heart. And when they get it in their heart, they don't have to have a thousand signs to tell them what to do. 
that make sense? It just makes sense, doesn't it? So guess what? If you want to, you know, show off your curves and parade your flesh, it don't matter how hard I preach it. That's in your heart. You know why? Because you're going back. You need some self-esteem and you need a man to say, whoo, you look good. That's right. It all goes back to self-esteem. Okay. It all goes back to security. It goes back to control and to connection. Does that just make sense? Okay, this is, this is why, my God, I need some time to talk on this. This is why men at 55, you know why they get a 20-year-old that's younger than them? Because it makes them feel valuable. You know why they buy a Corvette at 55 or 60 and barely can get their rear in it? Y'all know I'm telling you the truth. You buy a Corvette, not when you're 60. You know why you're doing it? Because I need to feel valuable. I need somebody to pay attention to me. I need to feel that I'm worth something to someone. I know this is in the raw, but I'm telling you why people do what they do. Okay, now I'm going to drop something on you. As if I hadn't dropped enough on you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my God. Here's what the Bible says. Above all thy getting, get understanding. Why, why do people do what they do? Because it goes back. We have a deep desire to want people to value us. A deep desire for somebody to respect us. So it all goes back to self-esteem and importance to self and performance. Okay, I can tell you're done. I need to be done too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put one more thing up on the screen though. If you will, put up on the screen, Jesus is glorified in us. I hope this comes up. Do you see it? Do you see it? Okay. Oh, man, I wanted this to come up. All right. Write this down, please, if you're taking notes. Here it is. I'm going to go slow. Jesus is glorified in us. When he is more valuable. More precious. More satisfying. Than all that life can give or death can take away. I'm going to say it again. This is good. Jesus is glorified in us when he is more valuable, more precious, more satisfying than all that life can give or death can take away. What, what do you mean by that? Y'all stay with me. I promise I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hush after this. I promise. What do you mean by that, pastor? Here's what I mean by that. When I look to God to fulfill my security needs, 
When I look to God to feel my self-esteem needs. When I look to God to feel all of my control needs. God is in control. I don't have to be. And when God feels all of my connection needs. When I, when I am most satisfied in him is when he is most glorified in us. And then when I realized, when I, here, here's, here's why Jesus was so successful. He hadn't done one thing, one thing before he got baptized. And yet the spirit comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He didn't raise Lazarus from the dead. He hadn't fed the 5,000. He hadn't preached his first message. And, and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I well please. What are you saying? Is that he knew who he was because of his father's love. And when the father pleases you in your connection needs and your control needs, your self-esteem needs and your security needs, then guess what? You don't go searching for a substitute. <laughs> you don't. You don't. I'm, again, I'm not picking on nobody. I promise to God. It's just, this is just low lying fruit. It's easy to make an example out of this. But the reason why we reach for anything, no matter what it is outside of Christ, is because we're looking for something to satisfy our soul. And all hopelessness is, all hopelessness leads to addiction. I'm going to say that again. All hopelessness leads to addiction. Not sometime, not 75% of the time, all the time. 100% of the time, hopelessness is the root of addiction. That's it. Because your hope is not in Christ. And then when you feel out of control, you don't know who to control. And so now you feel hopeless to control anything. Because you don't know he's in control. If you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, then guess what? You can get depressed over that. But if you look in the mirror and say, you know what? God, I'm your masterpiece because that's what your word says. I may not like exactly what I see, but according to what you see, I'm your masterpiece. I love you. Would you stand? Mm. Man, I still didn't get to the other side of this lesson. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Very, very, very few times do we ask ourselves, why am I doing what I'm doing? We just do it. Start asking yourself, why? Why am I thinking the way I'm thinking? If you don't learn to manage your mind, somebody else will. If you don't learn who you are, somebody will tell you who you are. Y'all, I will tell you this, that I feel like literally, I feel like I've been up here for 15 minutes and I have been teaching almost for 50. <laughs> I absolutely love this. Thank you. I say it with, from the fullness of my heart. Thank you for letting me serve you, God's word. I promise if God was right here standing next to me, I could look Jesus in the eye and tell you I'm not mad. And Jesus would say, he's right, he's not mad. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm passionate 
about you living the abundant life. That's what I'm passionate about. You living the abundant life. Oh, I'm glad you got your praise on in here. That's great. But when you walk out of here, I want you to have every tool you need to defeat the enemy. And it starts right here. Father, thank you. Lord, literally, if I stood up here for the next hour, and I'm not going to do that, but if I paced this forward for the next hour and said, thank you, and that's all I said, I can never say it enough. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Your word has literally changed my life. Thank you. Thank you. God, thank you for the great privilege that you called me to be able to serve your people, your word. Thank you. Thank you for this body of Christ. And Lord, now I just pray, help us to take this word, apply it to our life. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, if you're a believer, the last thing I'll ask you to do, if you're a believer, raise up your hands and just ask God, Lord, help this to go from my mind to my heart. Falling in love with Jesus. God, help this to go, God, from my mind to my heart to my spirit.